We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. Tonight I'd like to speak with you regarding the Holy Spirit, the believer, and sanctification. Um, if you don't have a handout, uh, raise your hand and one of the ushers will bring one to you. I think it's really helpful. This is actually some material that I was, uh, uh, I'm presenting in, in Bible college, but obviously I'm giving you a very condensed version of it. And, uh, and tonight's study is such an important study. You know, uh, when I think of tonight's study, I think of that movie. How many of you guys have seen The Lion King? Out of curiosity, The Lion King. And you remember there was a time in, in uh, Simba's life, do you guys remember when it was the attitude was Akuna Matata? Akuna Matata, right? And that was just like, you know, Kesara Sara, you know, whatever happens, happens. I'm just going to have fun in life. I'm just going to do what I want to do. There's a lot of people like that. You know, life is about having fun, Manny. Life is about me just kind of doing what, what I want to do. And the Akuna Matata attitude, it can creep into the church. But then I remember the movie, and I don't know if you guys can visualize it, but do you guys remember what happened is uh, Mufasa. Mufasa appeared to him, you know, and uh, he's there. He catches him one night, and uh, he appears to him, and basically what he says in a nutshell is that you are more than what you have become. And, 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 and for us as Christians, for me, uh, that's a, a real strong statement. I think it's a common problem in the church because we're so caught up in the world and we're so caught up in our own will that we, you know, we're living the Akuna Matata life. We're doing our own thing. And, and God is just like there just saying, wait a minute, time out. Come back to me. Come back and get to know me and be like me because I have so much more for you, not only to do, but to be. You know, when the Lord looked at Peter, Peter was messed up, but the Lord saw a rock in him. Maybe you're here tonight, and in all reality, and in all honesty, you've been living a kuna matata. You've been doing your own thing. I want you to know that within you, if you're a Christian, within you, there is a rock. His name is Jesus. And he wants to, man, he wants to just manifest himself in your life he wants to sanctify you he wants to make you more like him he wants to make you holy he wants to to bless your life and you know and you're like well why does he want to bless my life he wants to bring you a point of obedience why so that you can live happily ever after now i know people don't like that in the church oh don't use the word happy manny because god doesn't want us to be happy well, you know, and he's not against happiness. As a matter of fact, for you theologians out there, uh, the Beatitudes, a lot of people will translate that, oh, how happy. Oh, how happy are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. Oh, how happy are those who are poor in spirit, right? And, and so, you know, what I'm saying is this, because I don't want it to just be about obedience. Why should I be the husband that God wants me to be? Why should I be the wife that God wants me to be is because he wants you and your wife to be happy together, to have a wonderful life together, to be in harmony together. 
He doesn't want you to go home and fight all the time. He doesn't want you to go home and butt heads and struggle and, you know, feel uncomfortable around people. And, you know, next thing you know, you don't even want to go home. God wants to bless our life. And he brings it to that place of obedience and sanctification. And who we are is what we're supposed to be. I'll tell you what, man. Again, not, not saying everything's going to go good. But even when things go bad, you're going to have joy. I'm telling you this, man. God wants to do a new work in us. Sanctification by the Holy Spirit. As we cooperate with Him, it changes us. And that's what this this study really is all about. And of course it takes time, but, you know, it may not take that long. I mean, I don't know. They say that the journey to the Promised Land was an 11-day journey. But you guys know how long it took the children of Israel? 40 years. Some of you have been saved 40 years. What's up? What's up? Why are you still that same carnal person you started off as? Sometimes people even go to church and they're worse. Did you guys know that? 1 Corinthians 11 says they went to church, they had communion, and they left worse. It was a love feast. You know, I was telling the students in Bible college, I'm like, man, you of all people, you're going to Bible college. You should be different. When you go home, your parents, your kids, your spouse, your friends, your dog should know you're different. Okay, and I'm going to share this with you guys tonight. You're going to, you're coming to a midweek study. Woo! I mean, it's not just, it's not just Sunday. You know, I mean, all the Christians they go to church on Sunday. What's up with that? You guys are going in the midweek service. You know, and, and you know, I would just say this, there's probably greater expectations on you. You know, you come to midweek service and you think you're going to score points with God because you went to midweek service? No, you score points with God when you go home and you live it. Right? But I can't live it. Yes, you can. God lives in you. God lives in you. We studied that last week with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If God lives in you, let me tell you something, buddy. He can tame your tongue. Oh, Manny, but I get so mad when she talks to me like that. Join the club, man. <laughs> I mean, it's so funny. We get so bad, you know, like we're, we're you know, someone will say something. We can't, we, like, we just want to say something back. We get so mad. We can't, we, we can't even stop from texting someone back. I mean, it's just like, well, I can't believe they said that. Let me text them back right now. And it's like, dude, you can't even control your thumbs? We're bad. And guys is saying, time out. It's time to change. It's time where you come to the end of yourself. It's time to understand what sanctification really is. Look at Psalm 92. It says in verse 12, The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow. There it is. Oh, that beautiful word. Maybe you can circle it in your Bible or tattoo it on your heart or something, man. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. See, that's what I'm talking about, you guys. I'm talking about growing. And we've talked about this before. So important that we grow. That we're not the same as we used to be. Oh, I'm not the man I used to be, Manny. I'm not the man I want to be. I'm not the man I used to be. Well, stop comparing yourself to the way you were before you were a Christian. No, you know, where's the progress? There has to be, there should be growth. 
in our life. First uh, Timothy 4.15, it says, Your progress should be evident to all. Ephesians 4, it talks all about time to grow up. Right? It's time. I mean, it doesn't happen overnight. But you know what? You've been walking with the Lord for how long now? If you've been walking with the Lord for a couple of weeks or a few months, you know, maybe you're a new believer. It's only been a year. Okay, we'll give you some grace. But I tell you what, you've been walking with the Lord for years now. There's a certain element of maturity that's expected. You know, we, we see the picture of the newborns, and yeah, that's what they're supposed to look like as a newborn. 18 years later, there's got to be a little change. This is so cool. I love this verse right here, verse 13. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. And that's a little hint right there about how you're going to grow. We'll talk about this more later. You know, but my prayer, you guys, is that we would grow, okay? And, and, and how does that happen? Well, you're planted in the house of the Lord. You know, you got to get to church. I mean, even Jesus went to church once a week. Are you greater than Jesus? I mean, you're planted in the house of the Lord. And not just planted, but you're serving and you're working and you're a part of it. You don't go like to church, to church, to church. Some people, they do that. They hop all around. They're not really planted in a church, calling it their home, exercising their gifts. No, they plant in. And, and by the way, it never comes to a point where, okay, now I stopped and I've stopped growing. Look at the next verse. It says, and they shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh. I love that. And flourishing. You know, and that's just fruitful. How many of you here are old, just out of curiosity? Some of you are not afraid to raise your hand. It's okay. Um, I don't know where I stand. I, th- I think I'm old now. I'm not sure. But anyways, I tell you what, man. I, know, I mean, I am hungrier for God now after I've been walking with the Lord since 1992 than I have ever been. I am up late reading my Bible, up late in my garage, on my knees, listening to studies, just seeking God more. I want my wife to see progress in me. It just doesn't come to an end. And we, we really need this sanctification. And so, you know, let's talk a little bit about this, you guys. Number one in your handout, what is sanctification? You know, and I think most of us, we have a general idea of what it is, right? The Hebrew word kadash, it means to dedicate, to consecrate, to separate, to be holy, you know, that's sanctification. As a matter of fact, it's almost exactly the same Hebrew word that's translated holy, which is uh, Kadesh. So it's, it's, it's really similar to the idea of holiness. We see that in the Hebrew language. We also see it in the Greek language. The Greek word uh, for sanctification is hagiadso, and it means to separate from profane things and dedicate to God. Hagiadso is the consecration of people to God. It means to purify And as we saw in the Hebrew, we also see the same in the Greek. The words are almost identical, sanctification and holy, hagiaso and hagios. And so, you know, we're talking about sanctification. What is it? Uh, Consecration, dedication, separation to God. It's speaking of holiness. I think it's even helpful to know that our English word sanctification is of Latin origin from two Latin words, Sanctus, which means holy, and ficare, which means to make. And so 
Sanctification means to make holy. God is making you holy. Did you know that? God wants to make you holy. And I'm sorry to give you this visual, but for me, I think of my my, my grandma or my tia Mary or whoever it was. We had these uh, gals. They would make homemade tortillas. They were making them. You know, and they're doing all this and putting on and they're rolling it through and they're turning it and they're putting it and they're cooking it and they're making something. God is making something with you. You are his workmanship, the Bible says. He's the, the potter. We're the clay. He's making us. He's making us holy. That's what sanctification is, right? It means holy. It means separate. As a matter of fact, Vine's Dictionary defines sanctification as separation to God. And so that's what the Lord wants to do in our life. So let me ask you a question. Is sanctification realized ultimately in a monastery? You guys think? Is sanctification being a monk? Is it religious asceticism where we either live alone or we live only among other monks? And I know you guys know the answer is no, right? It's no. You know, admittedly, eventually, there were those in the church who saw sanctification solely as a withdrawal from the contaminations of society. And therefore, over time, it evolved into a withdrawal from society itself, right? And so to them, sanctification meant that, you know, they were coming out of society and into solitude, living in a monastery, and for them, the highest life was being a monk. And they thought that was the greatest thing you could do as a Christian, so much so that St. John Climacos, he said this, angels are a light for monks, and monks are a light for laymen. Okay, so there are those out there who say, sanctification, Manny, separation, I'm going to go and become a monk. I'm going to you know, join a monastery, and I'm going to get away from the whole wide world and all the bad things. Right? But, but you guys know what? That, that's not the, the heart of sanctification. See, they miss the point. In all reality, the essence of sanctification is holiness. And by that, it means godliness. You know, like theologians, they like to say, sanctification means to be separate from sin, not necessarily sinners. Sometimes, yeah, you got to get away from the crowd, Right? But the Lord will show you. Sometimes you've got to get into the crowd. It's not just like separation. Sometimes it's infiltration, right? But to be holy is in reference to Christ-like purity. See? And that's what we want to shoot for, you guys. And that's what we're going to talk about. When, what's sanctification, Manny? It means that when God, you know, makes me... So even someone like me, even someone like you, yes, you, like Jesus. It's a Christ-like purity. It's, a, it's an awesome thing. You know, one of the things that's kind of cool about, about you know, just studying these things out, is, have you ever wondered why, generally speaking, the Bible doesn't say, uh, I want to make you more like the Holy Spirit? I want to make you more like the Holy Spirit. It doesn't really say that. It doesn't even really say, although there are allusions to it, it doesn't really say, I want to make you more like, like the Father, uh, although there is more of an allusion there to the Father. You know, over and over, the Bible says, I want to make you more like Jesus. Romans 8.29, you are predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son. 
We're to be like Jesus. Well, why? Why not like the Father? Why not like the Holy Spirit? And the simple reason is because Jesus lived the life in the flesh. Jesus lived the life on planet Earth. And so I tell you what, you go and you read your Gospels and you look at the life of Christ and then you see, well, that's how God wants me to be. And I tell you what, you guys, I know... For a lot of us here, there's a reference to character. and we, we call it the communicable attributes of God, the love, the joy, the peace. It's true. All that, so much more though. The way that God the Father used the Son is in one sense the way that he wants to use our life. But we have to be people who are sold out and surrendered. You see what it is. It's uh, Christ-like purity, really, when it's stripped down to what the heart of it is. But, but when does it happen? When does sanctification take place? Well, three things I want to mention to you that we see in books over and over again. Number one, uh, we were sanctified. I don't know if you guys have that feeling in your notes. I wanted you guys to like think that you're in school and stuff like that. <laughs> We were sanctified. Did you guys know that? It's a positional thing. It's already passed. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, then you are sanctified. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And so that's the positional aspect of sanctification, past tense. Secondly, we will be sanctified, and that's permanently, and that's in the future. I can't wait for that day. First Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, theologians are real clear. You can read any book on this uh, aspect of sanctification and they'll tell you there's a, a past sanctification there's a there's a future sanctification but but the one that we want to focus more on tonight is the present sanctification and that is number three we are being sanctified we are being sanctified that's practically that's present hebrews two eleven says for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one for which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. And so, you know, look at the three differences there. You see the past, we were sanctified. That's justification, just as if I'd never sinned, legally righteous in God's holy sight. It's positionally freed from the penalty of sin, which is hell. And then there's the we will be sanctified. That's future. I can't wait for the day. It's glorification. It's permanently, and it's freed from the very presence of sin when we're in heaven one day. But right now, this is where we are. We are being sanctified. It's happening now, even tonight. My prayer is that you would not walk out those doors the same way you came in. That's my prayer. That I would not walk out those doors the same way I came in. That, that when I go home, my wife will say, Wow, what's up with you? There's something different about you. I love it. Wouldn't that be cool if your spouse said that? But what do our spouses normally say? What's up with you? Right? It's a different one. 
You know what? I'm going over here. You're going over there. You're sleeping on the couch tonight. You know what? That's crazy. That's crazy. You know, your friends, your co-workers, you're a Christian. You are supernatural. We should be different. Why aren't we? Is it God's fault? No, it's not. I'm sorry, friend. I'm sorry it's your fault. You see? I mean, when we look at this, we, we see what it is and, and when. And God is working on us. And like I said earlier, you know, it takes time. But it takes time going in the right direction. Not everybody who goes through a trial grows. Some people, you want to know what happens to them? They become a bitter person. Bitter person. Negative. They digress. That can happen to you if you are not broken. See, we want to progress. We want to go forward. Right? You know, when God, you know, deals with us initially, he kind of deals with us, one person said, like a grape. You know, like when you eat a grape, you just, it's all at once. And so when God first gets us and we're saved, he delights in us like a grape, right? And he gets the whole you and he's all, you're all mine, right? But then God deals with us. After he delights with us as a grape, he deals with us like an onion, man. One layer at a time. And he starts taking those things off. And God is just saying, let me take off your layer of bitterness. No. I like it. It's cold. I want my coat of bitterness. What? Why? God wants to deal with us. He wants to sanctify us. He wants to change us. I believe in this. I believe God can do that in your life, and I believe he can do it in my life. How does it happen? Well, number one, it's the Holy Spirit. Who is responsible for practical sanctification? Number one, the Holy Spirit, okay? Although all three members of the Godhead are contributors to our sanctification, and you'll read that. We even read that earlier in 1 Thessalonians 5, may he himself. So all three members are involved, but the Holy Spirit is called the agent of sanctification, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.13, it says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. We see over in Romans 15.16, Paul said that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles and ministering the gospel of God that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by who? By the Holy Spirit. First Peter 1 2 says that we are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit. Notice for obedience. We're going to get to that later. But you see, the Holy Spirit, we studied last week, who lives inside of us, He is the one that is sanctifying us. You know, and I and I really believe that that part of that whole picture, you guys, is this, man that God lives inside of you, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, because, man, He wants to change us from the inside out. And so He goes into the house, He goes into your house, and He starts cleaning house. Cleaning house, if you will let Him. 
See, and that's the key. We're going to look at that later. But it's the Holy Spirit, man. I mean, the Bible calls this sanctification, this change, this transformation from the inside. It really is described as a metamorphosis. A metamorphosis, is that how you say it? You know, I mean, you guys know what that is, right? I mean, this is a total transformation from a, a caterpillar. And caterpillars, you guys like caterpillars? I don't know. They're not that bad, but they are kind of ugly, depending on which one you look at, right? But from a creepy, crawling caterpillar to a beautiful, flying butterfly, that's what God wants to do in your life. And you're like, well, not me. I don't know what can happen to me, Manny. I'm pretty much all messed up. I have these evil inclinations, and I have this cultural upbringing, and I didn't have a dad. I didn't have a mom. And you make excuse after excuse after excuse, and God is saying, it's okay. I can change you. I can make you a beautiful person, a beautiful, but just like my son. I can do that to you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that tonight? You know, I mean, metamorphosis from that creepy, buggy type of person to nothing less than the character of Christ. I think some wives, and I could say husbands too, they think, well, this is how I change my spouse. I will bug them. I will bug them into the kingdom. I'll bug my neighbor and make them a Christian. You're going to bug them? Into salvation, man, you better change. You better get sanctified. You better experience the transformation, the metamorphosis from a caterpillar to a beautiful, wonderful butterfly. See, God can do that in our life. What a difference the Holy Spirit makes when He cleans house. You know, I, and for, for me, it's a journey. We're going to talk more about this later. But He puts His finger on certain things in my life. Sins. He says, stop it. Stop it. You can't, you know, and, and I'll just use this as an example. You can't look at girls. You can't check out chicks. Why not? Because it'll ruin you. It'll ruin you. And so, you know, even if for guys, they say it's every man's battle. And, you know, they man, they could be driving down the street and they see someone walking and they got long hair. And, you know, and then there's a, then there's a battle. There's a challenge. Will I look? Will I not look? Will I look? Will I not look? Well, I'll just look. Right? A lot of guys, how many of you guys do that? You won't raise your hand, huh? <laughs> and then you look and you find out it's a guy with long hair. See, that's what happens, right? God molded you, man. <laughs> what are you going to do next time? Keep your eyes on the road, Right? I mean, something comes on the TV, I thank God for my wife. She just gets in front of the television. <laughs> she just turned out she is quick. She's all, you sinner. I'm all, you know what? <laughs> I didn't even see it. And I wouldn't have saw it unless you pointed it out. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's like the Lord puts his finger on things. It could be strife in your home. It could be... You know, the way that you would just not shut up. You won't tame the tongue. I mean, it could be the way that you should be praying and you're not praying. I mean, just whatever the sin is, whatever the sin is, and God just says, stop it, repent, sin, be sanctified, right? Stop sinning. And what we have to do is we have to, we have to make that choice. Well, God will work in us 
And we're going to see to where that, that actually, in one sense, becomes a part of our character. I, I love the passage in 2 Corinthians 3. If you want to turn there, I don't know if you guys have in your notes in verse 18. Paul says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And so we're looking at Jesus. We're not just looking at Jesus. We're seeing the glory of Jesus. So we're looking as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. He says right here, Are being transformed, there's that word, into the same image from glory to glory. Just as by who? The Spirit of the Lord. You see, we're being made more and more. From glory to glory means more and more and more and more like the Lord. You know, sometimes I see the newborns, to be honest with you, man. It's funny. You guys ever see the newborns? And they're looking at the newborn. The other day, uh, we saw a newborn. And one of the gals, she comes up to the baby and she says, Oh, it, um, she looks like uh, Brian. I'm like, how do you see that? I don't know how girls do that, man, but they like right away, boom, they can see who it resembles, huh? But you know what I always tell the, 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 the parents? I said, don't worry, there's still time to change. <laughs> and you know, for us, so people should look at you and me, and they should say, you look like Jesus. You resemble Jesus. That's the greatest compliment that we could ever hear. My prayer is that we would have that heart, that we would resemble the Lord by the Holy Spirit working inside of us, just like we read here in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And so he works, right? But we also have a responsibility as well. Uh, number two here in our handouts, it says the believer. Who's responsible for this? Well, number one, the Holy Spirit. Number two is the believer. Vine's Expository Dictionary went on to say this about sanctification. It must be pursued by the believer earnestly and undeviatingly. It's not vicarious. It builds up little by little. As we read there in 2 Corinthians 3.18, from glory to glory. And so it's something that we have to pursue, that we have to aggressively cooperate with the Holy Spirit who wants to make us more like Jesus. This explains why some believers are more mature and obedient and Christ-like. After all, the same Holy Spirit lives in all of us. But let's face it, not all of us are living holy lives. You know? And so, well, why? I don't get it. I mean, he's saved, she's saved. They've both been saved 10 years, 5 years, 3 years. But why is it that there is such a faithfulness in that man? Why is it that there's such a humility in that man? Why is it that there's such a yieldedness and love in that man? And the reason is because he has allowed the Holy Spirit to have his way. And when we do that, then God works in us in such an amazing way. I like this passage in Philippians chapter 2. And this is a really important passage describing the way that we work together with God in this. It says in Philippians 2, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear 
and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That's a really important passage, um, to work out your salvation. We need to work, we need to work hard, we need to work out our salvation. You know, and, and there's a lot of angles I think we could tackle this truth with, but one that's pretty neat is just the, the fact that, you know, Jesus, you know, we could look at it this way. He lives in us. He lives in us, right? The Bible says that in Ephesians 3.17 and Colossians 1.27. As a matter of fact, it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's just an awesome truth that Christ lives in us. And so, you know, when we work out, in one sense, it's kind of like we, we let him out. It's almost like when we, when we choose to do things our own way, we're suppressing him. And God says, no, I want my son, Jesus, who lives inside of you, to express himself through you. I want the world to see my son. You know, I, I, I read one illustration. It's like the process of sanctification can be compared to, to an iceberg, right? And when you look at an iceberg, it's like 90% of it is underwater, right? But what happens is uh, in certain seasons, as the sun shines on the iceberg, the, the part that's exposed, it melts. And it kind of melts away, moving uh, the lower part above the waters, moving the lower part upward. You see? And that's kind of what the Lord does in our life. The Holy Spirit wants to kind of melt our sinful flesh away, so to speak, so that Jesus might be revealed in and through our lives. It's almost like God is saying, Manny, get out of the way. It's almost like what John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. It's as simple as that. We need to melt, we need to work out our own salvation, we need to aggressively cooperate with the Holy Spirit, we need to choose who we will be, for the Bible says, be holy, for I am holy. And I like that, because it doesn't just say, do holy things. Because that's cool too. But no, he says, be holy people. And that's when sanctification takes its work in us, you know? I mean, it's the Holy Spirit working in us and revealing Christ. But it is, and I, and I can't, you know, abandon the truth that, that he is changing me. He really is working on the inner manny. He really is, Right? I mean, the Bible says that in Romans eight twenty nine, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Remember what we saw earlier? Sanctification is uh, separate, holy, Christ-like purity in me. And so there's a journey that I'm on, and God is chipping away, and God is, is working on me. You know, what is it? Now, what's Christ-like purity? When does it happen? While past, got saved, future, glorified. Right now, he's working on me presently. He's laying, you know, peeling off the layers of that onion, right? Who does it? It's the Holy Spirit and me working together. How does it happen? Well, you know, there's a, a lot of things I could talk about. I could talk about a proper reaction to trials. 
and I could talk about a proper uh, reaction to truth. Whenever you're faced with the truth, you have a choice to make. Will you bow or not? Whenever you go through a trial, you have a choice to make. Will you submit and learn from that trial or will you be a complainer? Whiners, the lot of you, <laughs> right? That's what the, the Egyptians were, right? When God had done so much for them and you hear people complain, it's like, come on, grow up. You know, why is it that you're still in your two-year-old tantrum phrase phase you know i mean we don't need to complain the bible says count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance but when you're faced with those trials and when you're faced with those truths and god slams you and says repent of your sins then you got a choice to make and i my, my prayer is that that we would make good choices so that we would actually be a people a church that would change, that would grow. I tell you what, I think God has wonderful things for us. I really do. And as I think of the church, sometimes I'm like, well, Lord, maybe we can do this, maybe we can do that. And that we got a lot of good ideas, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I really believe that everything flows from my personal relationship with Christ, that, that I want that to be right, and then with my wife, and then with my kids. And then God will take care of the rest. God will use the word of God to conform us into the image of the Son of God. You guys remember that passage, John seventeen seventeen. Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So the, it's so cool. The spirit of God is not complicated. We'll take the word of God and he'll teach us. And then it's an opportunity to be more and more like the Son of God, to obey that truth. Ephesians 5.26, similar, says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. I mean, I remember growing up, I don't know if you guys, I just have visuals of myself growing up dirty. Man, I was dirty. You should have seen my ankles, my neck, my elbows. My lice, I mean, just everything. I was filthy. I never, I never washed, right? And some of you guys are like that, you know, spiritually. <laughs> and God's saying, let me just take my water of my word and wash you and sanctify you and cleanse you, right? This is what God wants to do. I mean, yes, it's a working word, the Bible, but primarily it's just the revelation of God's will for our lives, it's explanation of what's right and wrong. You see, and once you find out what's right and wrong, now my encouragement for you is just do what's right. See? I mean, not only do we have the revelation and the explanation, but we have the power and person of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we understand what it means. We ponder and pray, okay, how does it apply to my life? And then we simply choose to obey whatever it is that God has to say. You see, that's growth, you guys. That really is. I mean, just, we're going to see as we close today, it's just a matter of being a more obedient person. Not just obedient from the outside, however. Obedience from the heart. That's what God wants to work us towards. But it's growth. It's not a mystery. It's just spiritual maturity. 
Now, you guys have a quote here from John Piper. I wrote it down because I didn't want you to think that I made it up, okay? Listen to what he says. As irrelevant as the word sanctification may be where you work and in your neighborhood, the reality is very crucial, very contemporary, and very relevant. Suppose you've always concealed private sources of income when filing out your tax returns. Then you come to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and begin to tell the truth on your tax returns. That's sanctification. Suppose you're always on your husband's case. See, he wrote this. I didn't, okay? (laughs) And then the Word of God pricks your conscience and you begin to preach less and look for ways to show respect. That's sanctification. See, I always pick on the guys. Every once in a while, it's okay to say something, right? Suppose you're sleeping with your girlfriend. And then you meet Jesus Christ and get the courage to move out. That's sanctification. You see, it's not like this great mystery. It's just coming back to a place of obedience from the heart. I mean, that word, I know it's a, it's a weird word. I don't know if you guys ever think of sanctification. You know, um, someone asked, well, what did you study tonight? I don't know if you guys ever talk about the study after it's done. Sometimes I wonder. I'm like, right after a study, the Lord's moving, and someone says, hey, you want a cheeseburger? I'm like, dude, what did you think about the study? What was it about? Oh, I forgot. Okay, tonight, okay, sanctification. You're like, oh, it's a big word, sanctification, right? I'm not into big words. I'm not into fancy words. In one sense, maybe you're not, but sometimes you are. I know I am. Uh, I remember the first time I heard the word hypertension. I didn't know what that meant. I'm dumb. Right? <laughs> and, uh, and then I found out when I had high blood pressure, um, that meant that I might, if I continue with high blood pressure, my life might be cut short. Now, I'm okay with if God took me home, if that's it, you know, that's cool. But the more I'm here, maybe I'll be able to see my grandkids one day, maybe. I'll be able to preach the word to them. Maybe I'll be able to preach the word to more people. So hypertension, that that meant something to me. We're living in these, oh, I don't, that sanctification, that's just, uh, I don't like that word. Well, you're living in it. You know, it's relevant. I I think of the other word, um, hyperopia. You guys know what that word hyperopia is? Anybody here know? Well, a lot of you are living in it if you wear uh, glasses. In order to see things that are close, do you guys ever do that? Some of you old people do, right? Hyperopia. Now you know what that is. Well, I'm not into words. Yes, you are. <laughs> you live in it every day. Sanctification. Oh, it's a long word. How many syllables is that? I don't know. You're living in it every day. And you have the opportunity of a lifetime. Right now, we're, we have this opportunity to be more like Christ. Even as we live in the field of this world, I know it's bad, but if we yield in the field of this world, God will do an awesome work. It's really the, the aim of all missionary labor in the Great Commission. Uh, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so 
we're teaching them to observe these things, right? And the word means to attend to carefully, to keep. And what that means is obedience. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. As a matter of fact, one translation in Matthew twenty-eight twenty said, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. You see, it comes back down sanctification at the end of the day to old-fashioned obedience. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to teach you the Word of God. He wants to show you how to apply it. And He wants to give you the power, the power to live it. But you have to yield to Him, right? Not just some superficial, pharisaical obedience to all the rules and regulations. That's not what God wants, Right here we read in Ephesians 6, 6, not with eye service as men's pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Why should I love my wife as Christ loves the church? Well, I'll tell you, I could tell you a lot of reasons why, man. Because if I do, she's going to make me some good food, man. And she's going to take care of me like you wouldn't believe. And the Bible does say that if I love her, she'll be different. That I will love her and I will present her to myself, a glorious bride. And so that's why you should love her as Christ loves the church. Well, no. I should love her as Christ loves the church because Christ told me to. And once you come to that place in your life, then it's so cool. You know, today I was reading through the book of Jeremiah, my daily devotions, and it's all about idols, idols, idols. Man, they had idols. It said, I was reading in one translation, in every city, every city there was idols. On every corner there were idols. And so I was thinking about my own life. I'm like, well, Lord, I don't know if this applies to me. And God says, oh, yes, it does. Manny, you are your own idol. You're your own God. You call the shots in your life, huh? And the Lord says, yeah, that, that, I, I was like, that's our worst idol, is ourself. And the Lord just says, let me be God. Let me lead your life. I love you. I tell you what, I know what's ways best. I know how you should treat your wife and your kids and everyone else in your life. Do things my way. And you will, in one sense, live happily ever after. God will do such a great work. He really will. But we have to let the Lord do this. One last thing I want to share with you. You know, um, sometimes sometimes the challenge is that um, these two heresies that were introduced really in a large sense, in a large scale, I should say, in the 17th century, um, and I think you might have them on your notes. I'm not sure. But beware of two heresies. Uh, number one is activism. Activism. And that is, uh, you know, where you think, well, I'm going to do it. It's not God who does the work. It's you. You know, you're going to do it. And you want to know what their motto is? God helps those who help themselves. That's their motto. Right? But the problem is we can't help ourselves. <laughs> So how can God help those who help themselves? Without the Lord, I can do nothing. Without the Lord, I told my doctor this. I told my doctor, I said, without God, I couldn't say no to a Cheeto. 
I told my doctor that. It's true. He's like, well, how'd you, how'd you do it? I said, it's the Lord, man. Without God, I can do nothing. God helps those who are helpless. It's not activism, but neither is it quietism. And those are other people, and sometimes you hear well-intentioned sermons along these lines. Oh, you don't need to do anything. As a matter of fact, you know, stop trying, stop working, stop sweating. And you know what their motto is? Let go and let God. You ever heard people say that? No, it's not, it's not activism, and it's not quietism. It's synergism. There's another new word. We're, our vocabulary is growing, man. Synergism. And what is that? It's the interaction or cooperation of two or more who together produce great results. You guys, I'm telling you this, man. God lives in you. And as you yield to the Holy Spirit and you, you know, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who's working in you both to will and to do for his, oh man, God's going to do, God's going to do a great work. I'll close with one last story. It's been told of a, a do-it-yourselfer who went into a hardware store early one morning and he asked for a saw. And the salesman took a chainsaw from the shelf and commented that it was their newest model with the latest in technology, guaranteed to cut 10 cords of firewood a day. The customer thought that sounded pretty good, and so he bought it right there on the spot. The next day, the customer returned looking somewhat exhausted. Something must be wrong with the saw, he moaned. I worked as hard as I could and only managed to cut three cords of wood. I used to do four with my old-fashioned saw. Looking confused, the salesman said, Here, let me try it out back on some wood we keep here. And they went to the wood pile, and the salesman pulled the cord, and as the motor went, vroom, the customer leaped back, and he said, what's that noise? The customer was trying to saw the wood without the power of the saw to help him. See, and for us, it's the same thing. The believer who attempts to live the Christian life without the daily empowerment of the Holy Spirit is just like that customer. And so my prayer, you guys, let's start up that saw. And let's let the Lord do a good work. Father, we thank you so much for who you are, that you live inside of us, Lord. And I just pray, Father, you would do a new work of sanctification in us. Lord, I, I don't want to be the same man I was yesterday. I want my wife to see the difference, my kids, my, my friends. I want my progress to be evident to all, but especially to you. Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters here that whatever the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on saying that goes, then it goes. Lord, just give us wisdom. Help us to, you know, think good thoughts, to tame our tongue, Lord God, and to just to be obedient every day of our life. Oh, Lord, I just thank you for my brothers and sisters, and I pray, Lord, continue to work in us, and I pray, Lord, if there are any here who don't know you, that tonight, Lord God, they would know you loved them, that you died for them on that cross, and that, Jesus, you rose again the third day, and that if they would repent of their sins and place their faith in you, that tonight can be the night where they would be saved, where they can know for sure that they'll go to heaven when they die. Lord, I pray that you meet us all right where we are, 
you do a great work. We love you. Thank you. Praise you. Ask us in Jesus' name. Amen.